Well, good morning, everybody. How we doing? Ready for some church? Let's go. Thanks for being here. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're about to have a blast. Thanks for joining us online. You know, we're in this series today called Mosaic. Let me hear you say mosaic. mosaic. Let's do it again. Mosaic. Mosaic. Now you know a French word. But mosaic is just this idea of taking some really smaller images and creating some larger, coherent whole picture. And maybe you have one at your house or maybe you made one as a kid, but sometimes you'll take a little tile or a little piece of fabric or maybe a little piece of paper or maybe some other piece of rock and you'll kind of form it into this coherent whole that actually makes sense and comes together in the image that you're looking for. You know, we, I have one that Compassion International recently gave us. They gave us a mosaic. Um, as some of you know, that we have launched a church. We started a church um, just uh, at the beginning of the year in Nicaragua in partnership with Compassion International. And we have sponsored all the kids in that project. And so we have a picture of a girl who is actually from Nicaragua and she has got on the traditional Nicaraguan uh, uh, dress. And so this is kind of that overarching picture. But what you can see is it's made up of a lot of little pictures. And if you were to look closer in these little pictures, what you would see is that each of the little pictures that makes up the big picture are pictures of all the children that our church has sponsored over the last 15 years. So it's a pretty, yeah, it's pretty awesome. And so you can see how these little pictures make up this big picture of this mosaic, this big picture. And so as we, as we think about the life of Jesus, we know that so many times what happens is we have this really narrow view of maybe one aspect of his life and we miss the big picture. Amen. Like we, amen. Like we, I know that didn't really feel right right there. I'm just trying to get you into it, right? Um, I, I think that what happens is we learn some small things about Jesus, some limited things about Jesus, whether it's maybe in the church we grew up in or whether it's through media or whether it's through our parents or through our friends or, or for who knows where. And we learn some small things about him. And we, we sometimes don't see the grand picture of everything he came to do in our life. And so we are looking in this series over some of the smaller pictures, but to tie them to this larger picture of the majesty and the glory of Jesus himself. And so I think that today's message, I really think it's going to help us in, in this process of understanding Jesus. I believe it's going to help all of us understand and read the Bible a little differently. I think it's going to help us see God differently. I think it's going to help us see Jesus differently. And it's going to help us see our lives differently. And that's why we're here, right? Like you, you came to be changed, didn't you? To be transformed for something good to happen. If you did, let me just tell you, that's kind of what's about to happen. <laughs> and so, so let's start out with this question. Hey, what's shaping your life? Like what is shaping your life? Like when you think about all the aspects of your life, and there's a lot of them because we are very complicated people. Man, think about how, what's shaping your relationships. If you're single, what's shaping your thoughts and views and vision of dating and your future? You know, if you're married, what is shaping and influencing and informing how you treat your marriage and what your vision is and how, how you see the future together and what the purpose of your marriage is? Like, like how many parents in the room? Like what is shaping your view of parenting beyond survival, right? I mean, like what thoughts, what information, what sources are helping you think about what you want and what you're doing raising your children? Like when you think about your job, like, like what, is, what is informing you and training you about which job to take and which promotion to take or not take and which city to move to and which house to buy and which car to buy? What's informing your financial decisions? 
You know, is it, how do you think about what you give and what you save and what you spend and, and, and what, you, what, you, what you use on yourself and what you use on other people? Like what's informing, what is shaping your life? Now, the sad truth is for, for so much of our lives, because our lives are so complicated, we just kind of go on autopilot, don't we? And we just live by default. And there's plenty of people that want to tell us and want to shape and influence our life. Have you noticed this? <laughs> hey, buy my product. You'll have, you'll have fun. Hey, believe my truth and you'll have a life that matters. You'll reach your potential. Uh, behave my way and you'll be a good person. And what it has ended up has given us a level of anxiety and stress and depression and purposelessness and wandering. And, and they offer this pot of gold at the end of the rainbow if we follow their influence. But what ends up happening is that it's going to hand us a pile of garbage called regret if we're not careful. And Jesus offers a better invitation. Jesus comes along and offers us a way to have not happiness or comfort, but purpose and meaning. Jesus comes along and says, hey, quit trying to find the greatness within you. Have, have, you ever, have you ever tried to do that? Like there's greatness in you, you should find it. But most of us have looked under the hood and greatness is not the word we would use to describe ourselves. And Jesus comes along and says, there's a better way. There's a place where your life can come together. There's peace that can happen. There's a, a way to live that's not full of worry and full of being tired, full of work, full of stress. There's a, there's a different way to live. And so what we want to unpack today is Jesus as rabbi. Jesus as rabbi. You see, this was a title for Jesus. It was how his early followers viewed him was as rabbi. But, but for many of us, we probably didn't grow up in a Jewish context and we may not have done any reading or understanding that this is how Jesus was presented in the Bible. So I really believe that as we understand more about what this means, we're going to see the Bible differently, which is going to help us see Jesus differently, which is going to help us see our purpose differently. Amen? All right, let's grab our Bibles. Speaking of Bibles, we're going to be in the book of John. Now, John, just to try to avoid any confusion, John is a part of the Bible that was written by a guy named, guess what? John, you're right. And John was a friend of Jesus. He walked with Jesus. He saw Jesus in action. He was an eyewitness to everything that we read in the book of John. And so we're also going to read about another John. His name is John the Baptist. No, he's not John the Southern Baptist. He was John the Baptizer. And so just to avoid confusion, John the Baptist is not the same John that wrote these words. Um, but we're going to understand a little bit more about what it means uh, to, to be a disciple. That's a new word. We'll kind of unpack that today of Jesus. So as we're looking in John chapter 1, we're going to start out in verse 35. It says, the next day, John, John the Baptist, John the Baptist was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as Jesus walked by and he said, behold, the Lamb of God. And Lamb of, we're going to do Lamb of God actually next week. Verse 37, it says, the two disciples, they heard John say this and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following. And he said to them, what are you seeking? In other words, what do you want? And they said to him, Rabbi, there's our word, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and you will see. So they came and they saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. So they followed Jesus after kind of coming upon him 
just kind of by the sea as, it, as, it was, as they were leaving John the Baptist. Now, just a little bit to understand a little bit about rabbis and how you got to be a rabbi and why this was so important. So uh, in Jewish culture and heritage, as you grew up, when you hit the age of five, Jewish boys would go to school and they would, mem- they would spend the ages of five to 10 memorizing the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They would memorize all five of those. Can you imagine that? A 10-year-old that knows that much. Like, I can't even memorize the latest Liberty Mutual commercial. And I'm thinking, you know, five, and they memorized this. They committed it to memory. Now, kind of as a side note, we should always be memorizing Scripture. You know, the Bible says this, God's word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. And sometimes we feel like we get too old or we outgrow that. But we should always be memorizing Scripture until we have it all memorized. And so these kids would have memorized Scripture. And then they would have gone into this phase from ages 10 to 14. They would have begun not to just be able to recite scripture, because you know, you can recite things, you don't even know what they mean. They, they began to move past just reciting scripture to be able to interpret it and to ask questions. And there was this question and answer method that would happen when they learned. So for instance, in our schools today, if, if I were to ask you what two plus two is, you would say four. If you, in this particular school, in the way that they taught, if someone were to ask them what's two plus two, they would say what is the square root of 16? In other words, they would demonstrate this working knowledge of the answer in a way that was a little unexpected, but just, it was this question and answer method. And Jesus was schooled on this as he grew up. So there's a portion of the Bible, the only story that we know of him before he, before he turns 30, you know, after his birth to the time he turns 30, he was 12 and he was in the temple and this is what he was doing. And he was learning and speaking and questioning the authorities there. And this is what he was learning. He was learning just like every other Jewish boy would have learned. And then at age 14, if you were really smart and you filled out the right application and you had the right resume and your GPA was really good and you'd done your community service and you had all your extracurricular activities in order, then you got accepted into rabbinical school. And this was the dream for every parent was that their child would grow up and be accepted. Now, if you didn't get accepted, you just return to the family business. So Jesus moves through schooling. He learns the Bible. He committed it to memory. And at age 30 in this culture, when you were at age of 30, you could become a rabbi. And so we think that Jesus just at 30, for some crazy reason, wild, unknown, uh, random reason, actually became became a rabbi at 30, but this is why Jesus launched his public ministry when he was 30, because this, is the, this was the method of the Jewish culture. And so we have Jesus as rabbi. Jesus stands up the first day he wants to uh, kind of unveil himself at the age of 30. He stands up and he reads from the scroll. He reads from the scroll, which is what rabbis would do. And he reads this passage. And usually what rabbis would do is, is they would read the passage and then they would explain it. This is what Jesus does. He reads the passage and he says, that's me. And then he sits down in church. Like, it's amazing. Now we think of a rabbi as someone that maybe just like, kind of like the pastor. They're the one kind of in charge of the organization. But in Jesus' day, that wasn't it. A rabbi was someone who attracted followers. 
So what would happen is people would decide to follow a specific rabbi and they would kind of lean in and they would understand what the rabbi was about and they would attach themselves to the rabbi. He wasn't leading necessarily a synagogue or a church as we would say, but he was leading people and they would attach themselves and those people were called disciples. I'm gonna get to that in just a minute. But but a, a rabbi had two things, had a yoke and disciples. That's how you got to be a rabbi. Now your yoke as a rabbi was the way that you taught. It was was the thing that you were about. It was your method of interpreting scripture. It was your method of memorizing it and how you put things into into practice. So for instance, you know, one rabbi, they may say, I'm supposed to keep the Sabbath. And they would say, you can't walk more than a hundred steps or you're working. You know, you're not keeping the Sabbath, you're not resting. But another rabbi may say, no, you can walk 200 steps because you can walk 100 steps out and 100 steps back. So you get, there's just a, there's, there's a yoke, a type of teaching that a rabbi would have that people would buy into. And you wanted to know what that yoke was before you started following him. It's just their way of interpreting everything about life. It's how they did money. It's how they did sex. It's how they did gender. It's how they did marriage. It's how they did uh, hobbies. It's how they did dating. Everything was considered the yoke of the rabbi. So think about it in contemporary terms. If I were to ask you like, what is the yoke of Warren Buffett? You would say, invest in companies you know, because that's his secret, right? If I were to say, what's the yoke, the teaching of Martin Luther King Jr., you would say something like, I have a dream that, you know, children wouldn't be judged by the color of their skin, but the content of their character. Like we would know kind of the angle of this. Now, the reason why it was called a yoke, it was an agrarian term. That's farming for those of you who went to public school, but it's... It's an agrarian term. And so you would have one ox that was experienced and strong and ready to go and, and knew how to plow. And you would have another younger ox. And now the, the one older ox by himself could probably pull about 5,000 pounds. The younger ox could probably pull about 2,000 pounds. And so they would connect them together. Maybe you've seen pictures of this with some sort of device around each of them's neck so they couldn't separate from each other. And as they plowed, they could plow, they could pull up to 10,000 pounds. But then as they learned to walk and step with each other, they could pull up to 15,000 pounds. So this is where we get the term yoke from. So when you began to follow a rabbi, you attached yourself to his teaching and you attached yourself to his way of life. And you watched him. How do you know what the yoke of the rabbi is? You would ask him a simple question. What's the greatest commandment? Like, what do you think is the most important part of the Bible? That's the question you would ask. Now, some of you, some of you have read some of the Bible and you've heard this greatest commandment passage before. And you probably maybe never made the connection because Jesus gets asked this question. What's the greatest commandment? And the reason they asked him is because he was a rabbi and they wanted to know what his yoke was, his way of interpreting the Bible. So in Matthew chapter 22, they asked Jesus, Hey, what, what's, what's the greatest commandment? And then Jesus answers them in verse kind of 35 and following. It says, one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him, to, to understand what his angle was, what his teaching was. He says, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? What's your yoke? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. The second is like it. You shall love the ne- your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and all the prophets. Now, the thing about yoking yourself is that 
If you yoke yourself to the right person or belief system, you can become greater than you could ever be alone. So what Jesus is saying, and if you understand my teaching, if you understand what God's about, you can become the greatest version of yourself that I've created you to be than you ever could be on your own. Like attach yourself to me. This is, this is the invitation and the promise of Jesus. So if you think about who's shaping your life and whose way of life you're living, like, like what would it be? Think about the podcast you listen to. I would venture to say you listen to some podcasts that are shaping your life. What about the shows you binge on Netflix, Amazon Prime, Hulu, whichever, no, Apple TV, whichever one you watch? Like they're informing, they're shaping, they're influencing you. You know, your, your political party forming, shaping, influencing you. But the rabbi came to speak into every way of life, everything that we believe, everything that we do, the, every, every way that we live. This is, this is the role and the goal of a rabbi. Let me ask you a question. Whose way of life are you living? Have you ever even thought about it? Do you look like your neighbors? Do you look like your friends? Your family? A TV show? A podcast? A book? Like, like whose way of life are you living? And this was the question that, that you had to wrestle with when you attached yourself to a rabbi. And when you attached yourself to a rabbi, then you became his disciple. Disciple. And that feels like a little bit of a church word. We don't use that a lot of t- times outside the church language. But, but, it, but at Stone Creek, man, we are a discipleship-driven culture. Man, we are Jesus-centered. Man, we know that in Jesus, life comes together. We know that we need to be discipleship-driven, that our hearts and minds and lives would be formed by Jesus. Because let me th- if you don't think that's a good idea, just look at what the world is offering today. Man, we live in the more conflict than probably most of us have ever experienced. Amen? Hello? Man, we live in more contentiousness. We live in more confusion. And that is the yoke of culture. It's where it's going to take us. But we want to be discipleship driven. We want to learn the way of life of Jesus, and especially in ways where it seems countercultural. Uh, but they're also transformation focused. You know, we're not content just to hang around and be the same person we were yesterday. Man, we, we know that God has a vision for our lives, and we do too. And we want to see God do something incredible in our lives. Like, that's our hope for you. That's why we gather on Sunday. That's why you're in groups. That's why you do the things that you do. This is, the, this is who we are. And so in John chapter 1, 38, uh, is we just kind of unpack a little more of what Jesus said. He says, Jesus turned. He saw them following him. And he said, what are you seeking? Like, what, what are you seeking? In other words, what are you looking for? Like, why are you following me? And this is a question that Jesus asked everybody. There would be a blind man, and it's clear that he wanted Jesus to give him his sight back. And he would ask him, what do you want me to do for you? Why did he ask that question? Because he wanted to be sure we didn't get caught up in the surface level problems of life and miss the deeper soul shifting message of the gospel. And he wanted to, Jesus wants to be sure that we know what we want, that we understand there's more to life than what meets the eye, that there's a deeper purpose and a deeper meaning and a deeper reason why we're created and that we live into that. 
So he asks us, what do you want? So what about you? Like, what do you want? You get to the end of your days, what do you want? What do you want to be said about you? What do you want friends to think about you? What, what do you want to leave behind? More importantly, what do you want God to say to you? What do you want? And then they ask him a question. Seems a little bit counterintuitive. What, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, where are you staying? That seems a little odd. Like if you go out to lunch today and you, and the, you know, and someone comes to take your order and they say, what do you want? And you say, where do you live? It's going to feel, it's going to feel odd. Where are you staying? Where are you staying? They knew that to attach themselves to a rabbi required being with him and being like him. They knew that it was more than just getting some questions answered. They knew that it was more than just checking off a box. They knew that it was more than just, hey, here's your, here's your Bible answer. Go on and live your life. They knew that it was all-consuming, all-transforming, well worth it. They were looking for a life that was different, and they saw it in Jesus. So they asked him, where are you staying? And then, of course, they follow him. Now, the first thing we see with disciples, the number one thing is they came to be with him, but then also to be like him. But they came to be with Jesus. Now, this required proximity, right? It required proximity. They had to attach themselves to Jesus. They wanted to be with him in order to be like him so they could watch him. There's a phrase called dust of the rabbi. And they used this phrase to describe disciples who would follow a rabbi along dusty streets. They would be so close to them for such a long period of time that they would literally have the dust of the rabbi's feet on their body. They would sit at his feet whenever he was teaching and training and, and answering questions and talking to them. And they would literally get the dust of his feet on them. That's how close they were in proximity. Now, we know a little bit about that type of learning. So think about this for a second. If you're in a classroom, you have a teacher. And the teacher's just going to give you some information, and you'll get to pass the test probably. And then you probably forget 95% of what you learn. Hello? Is that you? Just me. Like, I was really good at passing tests. You know, when I was in, uh, when I got out of college, I was an actuary. I worked for an insurance company, and we had to take lots of tests. And I, could, I got really good at taking tests. I don't know if I remember anything I learned, but I could take a test. That's kind of what a teacher will do. The next level of that would be mentor. Let me hear you say Mentor. Mentor, like a mentor is someone you go to for a very specific uh, area of expertise. So like if you needed some help in investments, you go to a mentor to help you with your finances. If you wanted a mentor in parenting, they would come to you and they would help you in parenting, right? If you needed a mentor in marriage, whatever it is, you go, you would spend a little time with them, but then you would go on your way, right? And you would learn. But, but, but a disciple, a disciple is different. A disciple is, is being with them understanding the rabbi, understanding the teaching, seeing how they live, because they would see everything. They knew how many steps they took. They knew every day. They knew how much, how much time they spent reading the Torah. Man, they even, like, to the level, it's a little crude, but even to the level of eating and bathroom habits. Like, that is how close and how much time they spent with them. But that's the best way to learn. So just as, as an example of that, think about when you learned a foreign language, like you took Spanish in high school, maybe three years, and you can't remember any of it, can you? Hola, what did I say? <laughs> but then what happens if maybe you, maybe you got a tutor and you spent an hour or two a week talking to them, you learned a little bit more, 
But what's the best way to learn Spanish? Full immersion. Full immersion. Being with someone who speaks the language all the time. Hey, this is what it means to be a disciple. To be with Jesus all the time in every area. Let him speak and inform every area of your life. Be with him so you can be like him. This is where we get the idea of what would Jesus do. It's from this whole teaching about a rabbi and his disciples. We learn to be like him. We learn to imitate Jesus, not just to pass the test, not just to know the right answer, but to do what he would do. See, the definition of a disciple is who Jesus would be if Jesus were you. It's who Jesus would be if Jesus were you. So if Jesus is a mom of three kids, stepping over baby gates, changing diapers, and getting no sleep, who would Jesus be? He'd be tired. But how would he respond? How would he act? Who would Jesus be if he were getting up and going to lead his company every day? How would he act? How would he respond? What would he say? How would he value people? What would be his response? Like what what questions would he ask? How would we see the world? How would he look at eternity? Like this is what a disciple meant and this is who we are. So who would Jesus be if Jesus were you in your context? That's the question we have to ask every day. And disciples want to be like their rabbi. Another word, if you translated rabbi, it literally means my master, my master. He's in charge of me. I do the things that he wants me to do. This is when we, when, we, when we see some of the disciples and what they do, we see they're trying to imitate Jesus. So how many of you guys have heard the story of Peter walking on the water? Some of you, yes. Yeah. So, so just a little story about one of Jesus' disciples. One of Jesus' disciples is named Peter, actually. He's listed in this passage. And so Peter was the oldest of the disciples. And because he's the oldest, he kind of always had to go first. Because <laughs> he had to kind of prove to the other younger disciples that this was valid, that this was okay. So they kind of they depended on Peter. And for some of you that have studied Peter, Peter gets a bad rap, doesn't he? Because Peter had no filter. He, he just said everything that your husband says all the time, right? First thing that comes to mind, it comes out of his mouth every time. And we look at that and criticize him. But part of that was because in this structure, he was supposed to go first. And so he did. But there's this time when Jesus had been teaching the crowds and him and the disciples, they were very tired. They'd been at work a long time. And so he sends them across the Sea of Galilee in a boat to go to the other side so that they can rest, to get away from the crowds and have some downtime. And Jesus says, I'm going to come later. Well, they get out in the boat. And as the story goes, there was a storm that came up. And they get afraid as we would. And they look up and there comes Jesus walking across the water. Now, Peter thinks he's dead and it's a ghost. <laughs> and so Peter looks up and he says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come out on the water and I will come out on the water. And Peter jumps out and walks on the water. Why did he do that? Because he wanted to be like his rabbi. His rabbi was walking on the water and he wanted to do the things his rabbi was doing and he wanted to walk on the water. And this is what it means to be a disciple to be with him so that we can be like him. You know, there's, and then Jesus, of course, gives him this invitation. He says, come and you will see. Come, come and you will see. Now let me rewind about 20 minutes. Remember, when, when you got to be 14, you applied to be a rabbi. And this was your parents' dream for your life. 
They wanted you to be accepted and in and full, right? They wanted, this is what they wanted for you. And so now you've got these guys, Peter and John, who, who aren't rabbis. So what did that mean? It means they didn't make it, right? I mean, it means they, they went back to the family business. They didn't get to fulfill the dreams of their parents and maybe even their own dreams and their friends and family. Like they didn't get to do that. They just gone back to work and didn't get to be the person, didn't get accepted to the college, got rejected from the thing they wanted. And Jesus comes along and says, I choose you. See, in most contexts, you had to apply to follow a rabbi. Jesus is the first rabbi in history who just took everyone and invited everyone. See, he gives a high invitation. I choose you. And see, for some of you, you're spiritually unresolved. You're like, ah, I want to believe, but I just can't believe. As if, as if there's this magic switch in your heart that God's just going to turn on. But he just tells these guys to follow him. And what happens after they do? They believe. See, we hold a belief as this holy grail that we're going to get to and that we never doubt and we're never confused and we're always, we're always certain of everything. And Jesus just says, what? He says, follow me. So if you're struggling with belief, I just want to encourage you today. Follow Jesus. What do you got to lose? Can't he deliver more than what you're currently getting? Now, that's a short-sighted way and reason to follow him because he's going to give you life. He's going to give you freedom. Don't wait until you have all things all figured out. Hey, start following him. Man, then he is going to change you. One of the things I love about when he called Peter, he said, hey, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. I've got a purpose for you you have no idea about. I've got a vision for your life that you've never seen before. I've got a plan for you that you couldn't map out with the greatest tools in history. I'm going to make you into something you always wanted to be even when you didn't know it. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. Listen, God is not going to leave you the same. He's not going to be content for you just to hang around, to sit around. He's not going to be content for you just to not grow and not take action. And the one thing all his disciples had in common, the one thing they had in common was they had a bias towards action. He knew, Jesus knew, that they would follow him no matter what, that they would give it their best shot and they would leave the results up to him. This is what it means to be a disciple, is that God invites us into a life and then he changes us into who he's created us to be. How do, how do we become disciples? What does that look like? I'm going to give you three things, and they're going to be so simple. But if you haven't already done them, you don't understand the ramifications of these. You know, one thing we see is we know here in this Bible, in this book, man, that Jesus is revealed to us. That whenever I open this Bible, man, God is just pointing out to me, Jesus is for me. Jesus is after me. Jesus is coming for me. Jesus Jesus, Jesus. And if you want to know the ways of Jesus, this is where you start. Now, what, what's probably happened to some of you is you're inoculated to it because you've kind of been reading your Bible for years. You get up and you read it because you know you're supposed to, kind of like you take your vitamins. But what if you read it with, with, with the 
expectation that God's going to do something amazing. That God was going to breathe some life into you that you could get nowhere else. That he was going to transform you. And you need God's word in your life. You, you need God's presence. Now, what we call that, and this is a message for another day. But we need God's word, but we need God's spirit. Man, God's spirit is just his active, ongoing presence in my life. Because let's be honest, there's some decisions you have to make. You can't just turn to page 842 and find the answer to. You got some things going in life and you need God to guide you and lead you and mentor you. You need God to challenge you and correct you. You need God to convict you of sin. And this is what we need. We need God's spirit in my life. And what would it look like for you to wake up every day? Say, God, I want you in charge of this day. You're in charge of me today. I'm under your authority. This is the day the Lord has made. I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it. You need God's word, you need God's spirit, and you need God's people. You will never be who God's created you to be without God's people. You need, you need God's people around you to breathe life into you when you're discouraged, to point the way home when you get lost, man, to wrap you up when you get hurt. Man, you need God's people in your life. And it's, it's more than just getting in a group and having a dinner party. You, you will always be less than you could be without God's people. And I know what I know it. I know you're too busy. Really? Like, like when, you, when you begin to identify what you want, like are you too busy for life change? And, and if you're too busy, what's going to happen? You're going to get to the end and look back, and you're just going to have these regrets of these things you didn't do that you could have done. And the call of the rabbi is a call to be changed. It's a call to be included. It's a call where he says, I choose you. Man, another place where we see this in the Bible, and probably my favorite passage in the Bible, hopefully I say that every week, uh, Matthew chapter 11. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus is talking to his disciples. And in verse 28, he says this, says, come to me. Rabbi language. Hey, follow me, right? Be my disciple. Be changed. Attach yourself. Be with me. Be like me. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. My God, does anybody in here not need rest today? Does anybody in here not feel tired, stressed, and anxious? Does anybody in here feel like life's all good and you got it all together? Does anybody wake up every morning saying, yay, everything's going to be perfect today? And people I talk to, man, they're tired. And Jesus offers us a different outcome. Take my yoke again. Take my yoke upon you. Rabbi language. Learn from me. Man, let's yoke this thing together. Man, I can, we can pull more together than you can pull by yourself. I can keep you going in a straight line when it feels like you're going to go crooked. I can keep you standing up when you want to fall down. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I'm gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke my teaching my way of life is easy and my burden is light you know there's another translation of the bible called the message and I love the way the message reads this particular passage of the bible just settle into this moment as I read this for us are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me. You'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk 
with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me. And you will learn to live light and free. Hey, this is the invitation of Jesus the rabbi. Let's pray together. So we just have a few moments just to be still and quiet. God, I just ask that you would just be present in our lives. Lord, I pray for those who are tired right now. God, you would just give them a sense of encouragement and hope. God, for those who are anxious right now, God, that they would know that your way is full of peace and joy and kindness, God. For those who are struggling to believe, God, they would have the tenacity to follow. And just in the moment, like, what do you want? What do you want? What's been shaping your life? Man, just do some work with God right now. I want to speak to a specific group, just again with our heads, bows, and eyes closed. Maybe you've never made that decision to follow, and you know today's the day to follow. You're going to let Jesus, you want Jesus to be the greatest influence in your life. You want him to be your master. You want him to be your Lord. You want him to be your focus, your authority, your leader. I just want to help you do that today. I, I promise you, I promise you it's better. Now I'm just going to lead you in a prayer today. And you just repeat in your heart the words that I say. And what makes him effective is your commitment to follow. Dear God, I follow my own path. I follow my own way. I choose to follow Jesus. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I trust that Jesus came to pay for my sins. And I'll follow him. I know I'm not perfect. I'm uncertain. I'm even confused, God. But I'm clear. I will follow you today. You know, with just our heads bowed and eyes closed, if that was you today, if you make that decision to follow, I'm just going to let you mark the moment. And I'm just going to invite you to raise your hand in the air. I'm going to count to three and then just take a look up at me. Let's make eye contact. On the count of three, if that was you, one, two, three. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you. Awesome. God, you're more than just a good teacher. Man, you're more than just a good friend. And you're more than just someone out there somewhere wanting us to do something. God, you're here. You're worthy of our total lives, total devotion. God, help us learn what it means to be with you so that we can be like you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.